Father, we do come bringing our praise to you. You are the Almighty. There is no other Almighty beside you. And uh, Father, as we finish our work in Jeremiah this week, show us these wonderful things in your word, your mighty acts, your great works, and your faithfulness to yourself, to your covenant, and to your people forever. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> well, welcome or welcome back to Jeremiah. Uh, we are wrapping up our six weeks today, and uh, the previous lessons are all available, both the handouts and the, the audio uh, online, if you want to catch up uh, or, or go and, and uh, back through something again. Um, you'll see at the top of the front of your handout sort of the, the outline of what we've done over the weeks. And we're, as you'll see, we're wrapping up the last seven chapters, chapters 46 to 52 of Jeremiah today. Uh, there are really two parts to what we have um, today in terms of finishing this. 46 to 51 uh, is a mirror sort of to chapters 2 to 25. Chapters 2 to 25, you'll remember, were uh, Jeremiah's prophecies against Judah and Jerusalem. We covered that in week 2. And here we have these six chapters against other nations, um, Nations all around uh, Israel and Judah. And then uh, chapter 52 uh, is a second recounting of the actual fall of Jerusalem. And uh, we will spend a little bit of time there, but where I really want to get to uh, is, is uh, right above the song lyrics, uh, that section that says, when you think of Jeremiah. So we're going we're gonna to hustle our way there because I want to get you a big picture of what this entire book uh, had and has for us, uh, what it had for Judah and Jerusalem, what it has for us. Um, but uh, to get there, we got to finish uh, first. So Jeremiah uh, 46 to 51, as I mentioned, uh, it, this part is really a mirror to chapters 2 through 25, in fact, so much so that what you'll see here in these chapters are really just an expansion of what Jeremiah has already prophesied in the second half of Jeremiah 25. Yes, I have that in your notes. Um, Jeremiah 25, 15 to 26, we won't go there, but you'll, if you went there, you would go and you would see the laundry list of basically the same nations that we're going to see uh, specific prophecies against in these six chapters. But a question for you. Almost all of the rest of Jeremiah has been God promising judgment on his people for them having turned away from him. Why six chapters on all these other nations? Why, why over 10% of the book and this significant section about Egypt and Babylon and Elam and Moab and Ammon and these. Why? Why this? Why would this exist here? Larry? He judges all sin of all men. He judges all sin of all men. And why can he do that? That's right. That's absolutely right. Why can he do that? These are simple questions. It's okay to give Sunday school answers. Because, because he's God. That's right. And he is not just God. He is the God. Hey, it's the Masons. Lynn and Pamela. Hello. Welcome back. Oh, all right. Back on track. Sorry. Um, um, right. Now I'm distracted. He is the only God. And he is, as you can see, the title of this lesson. He is Lord of all. Uh, and, and, and that's not just a song of a great, or the name of a, a great song from Charlie Hera. Uh, that is truth, that he is the Lord of all the earth, even of those who deny him or don't know him, those who are oblivious to his existence, uh, though the Bible would tell us that there are none like that because 
uh, eternity is written on the heart, and even the very presence of creation declares uh, him that none have ex any excuse. Uh, so that's right. Uh, and so we have this section before us because uh, he is Lord of all. That's, that's, that's one thing. Uh, another uh, is that though uh, ordained by the hand of God, all of these actions against Judah, though they were ordained by the hand of God, they were sinful actions of, of Nebuchadnezzar, of Egypt, uh, of Moab, of Edom. And, and so God has things to say to them as well. Uh, a third thing that actually um, came to me uh, as I was thinking on this just late last night, um, where had Israel placed her hope? In other nations, that's right. And so God is going to bring the hammer down on these other nations as well, I think in part to remind Israel that your hope is not in Egypt. Your hope is not in Assyria. Your hope is not in uh, any other nation. Well, that's where we ended last week, right? Remember, uh, <laughs> don't go to Egypt, Jeremiah said. And then they immediately went to Egypt. Uh, okay. One of the things that you'll see here, uh, that you'll see over and over again through this section in this table that I've given you, uh, is, is that... God is not only calling out the nations, but the gods of those nations specifically. And you can see those. Let's just fan through those very quickly. 46, uh, 25 is within the context of Edom. Sorry, Egypt. Uh, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel said, Behold, I'm bringing punishment upon Ammon of Thebes and Pharaoh and Egypt and her gods and her kings upon Pharaoh and those who trust in him. Uh, 48.7 within Moab. Uh, For because you trusted in your works and your treasures, you also shall be taken. And Kamash, the name of an idol, shall go into exile with his priests and his officials. Uh, 49.1 to Ammon middle of that verse. Why then has Milcom dispossessed Gad? Milcom, again, a name of uh, a god of the Ammonites. And so the call is out against him. And then uh, chapters 50 and 51 uh, in, in uh, Babylon, yeah, 50 verse 2, declare among the nations and proclaim, set up a banner and proclaim, conceal it not, and say, Babylon is taken. Bel, a god, is put to shame. Merodach, a god, is dismayed. Her images are put to shame. Her idols are dismayed. And I'll let you look up those others in your spare time. But what we're going to see here in chapters 46 uh, through 51 is primarily God naming the perceived strength. That is, what, what is it that the, a particular nation held as their most important or the most key characteristic that they were proud of, that they, that they knew identified them as a great nation. And God's going to put his finger on it and he's going to squish it <laughs> right down into the ground. He's going to make it null and void uh, in his presence. And uh, there are, while, while none of us may ever uh, meet a Moabite uh, or go to Elam, uh, these are great things for us to know and to be aware of because we're prone to wander. We're prone to trust in things other than the Lord. Uh, we take his gifts and we turn them into little idols and we trust in them. And uh, so don't be surprised if God takes his finger and, and, takes, and just presses one of your idols down into the mud. He's doing you a favor. It's, it's, this is grace to you. It's grace to us when that happens. So with that, we have this table before us. Um, Left-hand column is the nation or the people group being talked about. The right-hand lists um, their perceived strength and, and some key verses. And we're going to get most of these key verses. So um, hang on. Listen fast. Uh, Egypt, their might and their pride. You'll see that called out. 
in, in chapter 46 about Egypt concerning the army of Pharaoh. So, so the very first thing that, that uh, God speaks to Egypt about is her army. She thought that that was her strength. Um, in chapter 46, verse 16, he made many stumble and they fell and they said to one another, Arise, let us go back to our own people and to the land of our birth because that is not the verse I wanted. That is not the verse I wanted. Verse 15, sorry. Verse 15. Yes, why are your mighty ones face down? They do not stand because the Lord thrust them down. So in the face of the Lord, uh, the mighty ones of Egypt, and, and, and I think Jeremiah is referring both to their gods and literally their people, that the Lord has thrust them down. Uh, 46, 15. Verse 24. The daughter of Egypt shall be put to shame. She shall be delivered into the hand of a people from the north. So her, her pride, her might uh, will stand as nothing uh, before the Lord. And then we see uh, in, in verses 27 and 28 a comfort that is given to Israel. And these are great verses. I'm going to read those in full here. But fear not. O Jacob, my servant, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away, and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, for I am with you. I will make a full end of all the nations to which I have driven you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. And so this is the way that the Lord works with his people. He keeps them. He disciplines them. We don't go unpunished. We are corrected and we are brought back, but we are saved. And not, there's not a full end made to his people. Uh, great comfort in the midst of, of this chapter uh, to Egypt primarily. We go on to the Philistines, uh, chapter 47, 1 to 7. Um, the Philistines, we, we read about those guys in, in the historical books, right? Um, fierce, strong warriors. They overwhelmed their, their enemy by sheer force and number. Uh, maybe not the smartest guys in the block, but they were the strongest, and, and they were many in number. And God puts his finger exactly on that. Listen to... The adjectives here in, in verses 2 and 3. Thus says the Lord, Behold, the waters are rising out of the north and shall become an overflowing torrent. They shall overflow the land and all that fills it, the city and all those who dwell in it. Men shall cry out and every inhabitant of the land shall wail. At the noise of the stamping of the hooves of his stallions, at the rushing of his chariots, at the rumbling of their wheels. The fathers look not back to their children, so feeble are their hands. So the, the very thing that the Philistines prided themselves in, that they were an overwhelming, conquering, uh, fierce people, that God is promising them a destruction that is just as torrential, just as overwhelming as a flood, um, and the rumbling of wheels and, and uh, the rushing uh, stamping of hooves. Um, we go on, chapter 48, to Moab. Uh, Moab gets the prize today for being the uh, proudest people in the story. Uh, verse 29, six times. You'll see it. Uh, 48, 29. We have heard of the pride of Moab. He is very proud of his loftiness, his pride, and his arrogance, and the haughtiness of his heart. Six times. <laughs> Six times in one verse. Um, so we know uh, what drives Moab uh, is his pride. Um, and 
uh, also that he has been, we're going to back up to verses 11 and 12, uh, Moab has been at ease from his youth. He has settled on the, his dregs. He has not, emptied from, not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into exile. So his taste remains in him, and his scent is not changed. Uh, that's, some, that's some imagery around winemaking, but the point is uh, he is going to be dumped out. He is going to be dumped out, and he will not be at ease, and he will be put to shame. Uh, Moab, of course, that people are uh, descendants from Lot, Moab and Ammon, these two that we have right here side by side uh, from the daughters of Lot. And, uh, but what we see in both cases, um, I'm, I'm handling both of these uh, ta table rows together just a little bit, in 48-47, yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab. In the latter days, declares the Lord. And also for Ammon in the next chapter, verse 6, but afterward I will restore the fortune of the Ammonites, declares the Lord. So even amongst people who were oppressing uh, the, the Jews, the Lord is restoring them. He is, he is promising at least a remnant will, will be restored. More on, on, on Ammon, uh, if you look with me at uh, 49, verse 2. Uh, they took pride in the land that they had uh, because they stole the land from, from Israel. We'll start actually in verse 1. Uh, Concerning the Ammonites, thus says the Lord, Has Israel no sons? Has he no heir? Why then has Milcom dispossessed Gad and his people settled in their cities? So the, the, the picture then is, well, why, if, the, if there aren't any, if there are heirs within Israel, why aren't they in this land? Well, it's because the Ammonites have dispossessed them. Verse 2, therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will cause the battle cry to be heard against Rabbah of the Ammonites, and it shall become a desolate mound. Its villages will be burned with fire, then Israel shall dispossess those who dispossessed him, says the Lord. So again, the, the very thing that they were taking pride in, that we have this, we have this sweet bit of land, um, we took it from the Israelites, but it's ours now. God is going to dispossess them of it. Um, Edom, middle of chapter 49. Edom lived in a, that this is south of the Dead Sea, a rugged, mountainous territory. They assumed that they were invincible in, in their little hideouts in the hills and that, and that no one could, could get there. Um, and uh, God has other news for them. 49 verse 10. I have stripped Esau bare. Uh, Edom is, is, is where Esau went and, yeah, and, and lived. I have uncovered his hiding places, and he is not able to conceal himself. His children are destroyed, and his brothers and his neighbors, and he is no more. And verse 17, verse 16, sorry. The horror you inspire has deceived you, and the pride of your heart, you who live in the clefts of the rock, you who hold the height of the hill, Though you make your nest as high as the eagles, I will bring you down from there. So again, the very thing that, uh, that Edom had her pride in, the Lord is going to take away. Damascus, little short section here, 20, verses 23 to 27. Damascus, Damascus was a famous city. Uh, important trade hub. Damascus still exists right, right where it was. Um, ancient, ancient city, um, famous for its luxury and its comfort. And um, the Lord, in verse 24, tells Damascus that she has become feeble. She has turned to flee. Panic has seized her. Anguish and sorrows have taken hold of her as a woman, as of a woman in labor. Um, verse 25, how is the famous city 
not forsaken the city of my joy. This is, this is the, the, the people of, it's giving voice to the people of Damascus, um, mourning the loss of their city, their fame, and their luxury. Uh, and, and notice that in verse 24, it's spoken as though it's already happened. Uh, this, this is how sure and certain uh, the, the word of the Lord is. Um, okay. Kadar and Hazor. Um, so I think that's the rest, not quite the rest of, of, verse, of chapter 49, verses 28 to 33. These were um, Arabian tribes out to the east. Probably didn't say this earlier. This whole thing generally moves from west to east. Not exactly in the right order, but, but really, really close from west to east. And so now these are, these are Arabian tribes. They assumed that because they lived out in the desert and they were nomadic and they didn't have anything except for camels and tents, they would just be safe. Sort of security by obscurity, <laughs> right? Just keep your head down, hunker down, live in a tent, live in the desert, stay out of the way, no one will bother you. Uh, and, and the Lord has uh, a different word for them. Verse 29, their tents and their flocks shall be taken their curtains and all their goods, their camels shall be led away from them, and men shall cry to them, terror on every side. Verse 31, rise up, advance against a nation at ease that dwells securely, declares the Lord, that has no gates or bars, that dwells alone. Their camels shall become plunder, their herds of livestock a spoil. I will scatter to every wind those who cut the corners of their hair. I will bring calam their calamity from every side of them, declares the Lord. Okay, so there's nowhere to hide uh, for, for the folks uh, of the uh, Arabian tribes. Elam is our next stop as we finish up chapter 49. Elam is interesting. Uh, Elam is a grandson of Noah, the uh, oldest son of Shem. Uh, that's Genesis 10-ish stuff, 10.22. And then we see the king of Elam in Genesis 14, uh, Kadar Laomar, probably just slaughtered that name, who came and he's one of the kings who took Lot and a whole bunch of people off and then Abraham had to rescue Lot and bring him back. Uh, and so the, Elam is to the east. It's modern-day Iran. Um, the capital of the Elam province was Susa. So when you get to Daniel... And you get to uh, Esther, uh, you're in those days of the Persian Empire. This is Elam. Um, fuzzy. They were at, sort of connected with the Babylonians until they weren't. And then they were connected with the Persians to defeat the Babylonians. So, uh, but, but Elam were very proud of their archers. Um, and the first thing that the Lord tells them in verse 35 is, Behold, I will break the bow of Elam, uh, the mainstay of their might. So the Lord even, even tells them, I know that this is, you think that this is the, your strongest point. I am going to break it. Um, verse 36, I will bring upon Elam the four winds from the four quarters of heaven. I will tell you, I have never pulled back on the bowstring of a bow or tried to shoot an arrow. But I assume that if there were the four winds from the four corners of heaven, even if your bow wasn't broken, it would be hard to be effective as an archer. Just guessing. I don't know. Uh, that, and so God is, again, putting, putting his finger right on their strength. And then in verse 39, amazingly, but in the latter days I will restore the fortunes of Elam declares the Lord. Uh, even more amazing, verse 38, I will set my throne. This is, this is the Lord speaking. I will set my throne in Elam and destroy their king and officials, declares the Lord. I wish I had a full answer for you about if that's happened, when that'll happen. We know it, we know it either will or it has. We know it's one of those. Um, but uh, uh, God has his plans and they are perfect. Okay, and the uh, final part of this first section is Babylon. 
chapters 50 and 51, uh, almost as many verses here on Babylon as on all the others put together. And, and I don't think that I'd said it before, but, but Nebuchadnezzar uh, is really uh, the main character in the other uh, woes against these other nations. It is Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon who uh, will continue to be God's servant in destroying Egypt and destroying Elam and destroying others along the way. But now, as promised already uh, by God, when he, when he is done using Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar will be done as well, and Babylon will be done uh, in God's um, plan. So verse, uh, chapter 50, verse 3, For out of the north a nation has come up against her, which shall make her land a desolation, and none shall dwell in it, both man and beast shall flee away. Now, if you didn't know the context of that, you would be sure that that was written about Judah. That sounds exactly like what we read earlier about, you know, uh, this, this boiling pot from chapter 1 that, that's pouring out from the north, the, 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 the warriors from the north coming. And now God has the very same prophecy against Babylon that another land, another kingdom from the north will come and conquer Babylon. Uh, verse 23 of chapter 50. How the hammer of the whole earth is cut down and broken. How Babylon has become a horror among the nations. Again, it's, this is written as though it's already happened because the Lord's prophecies are sure. Uh, and they, they are uh, without any doubt whatsoever. Uh, verse 31 of chapter 50. Behold, I am against you, O proud one, declares the Lord God of hosts, for your day has come, the time when I will punish you. Chapter 51 um, reiterates just the completeness of the destruction of Babylon. Um, let's flash through these verses I've got listed, verse 2. I will send to Babylon winnowers, and they shall winnow her. They shall empty her land when they come against her from every side on the day of trouble. Second half of verse 3, spare not her young men, devote to destruction all her army. Verse 6, flee from the midst of Babylon, let everyone save his life. Be not cut off in her punishment, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance, the repayment he is rendering her. Verse 13, O you who dwell by many waters, rich in treasures, your end has come, the thread of your life is cut. Uh, the end of verse 26, you shall be a perpetual waste, declares the Lord. And verse 37, Babylon shall become a heap of ruins, the haunt of jackals, a horror and a hissing without inhabitants. Uh, the Lord was against her pride and her might, uh, even though he had used Babylon for decades, calls Nebuchadnezzar himself my servant uh, to carry out his, his own um, desolation of Judah and Jerusalem. And then finally, um, one last illustration from chapter 51, verses 60 to 64. Let me read all of this. Uh, it's sort of a mic drop moment for, for uh, Jeremiah that he instructs someone else to do. Verse 60, and Jeremiah wrote in a book all the disaster that should come upon Babylon, all these words that are written concerning Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, when you come to Babylon, see that you read all these words and say, O Lord, you have said concerning this place that you will cut it off so that nothing shall dwell in it, neither man nor beast, and it shall be desolate forever, end quote. Then continues the instruction from Jeremiah to Sariah. When you finish reading this book, tie a stone to it, cast it into the midst of the Euphrates and say, thus shall Babylon sink to rise no more. So one more picture uh, given uh, to us in, in Jeremiah of the completeness and the certainty of God's judgment 
Um, but in the midst of this, we've skipped past these, more comfort and instruction to Israel. I want you to see specifically in chapter 50, verse 17 to 20. If you're looking for a concise um, interpretation of history, of what, what's gone on in this period, here it is for you. And starting in verse 17 of Jeremiah 50. Israel is hunted, is a hunted sheep driven away by lions. First the king of Assyria devoured him, and now at last Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has gnawed his bones. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing punishment on the king of Babylon and his land as I punished the king of Assyria. I will restore Israel to his pasture, and he shall feed on Carmel and in Bashan. And his desire shall be satisfied on the hills of Ephraim and in Gilead. In those days and in that time, declares the Lord, iniquity shall be sought in Israel. That is, where is it? Uh, And there shall be none, and sin in Judah, and none shall be found. For I will pardon those whom I leave as a remnant. This is just an, an amazing four verses from Jeremiah 50. This, this concise, packed history of what God had done through the 8th and 7th century and into the 6th century B.C., and then the promise that my people will come back. My people will come back. And in fact, you won't even, we won't even be able to find sin or iniquity. People will say, well, where is it? It won't be found because the Lord will have forgiven the sins of his people and his people will be restored. Um, a glorious um, history from this time of the 720s B.C. to the very day of the Lord at the end uh, of time. Okay. Oh, yes, and a mention of Cyrus even. Right? As Nebuchadnezzar is mentioned in the future of Judah and Jerusalem, so Cyrus is mentioned in the future of Babylon. 51 verse 11 The Lord has stirred up the spirit of the king of the Medes. Uh, 51 verse 28. Uh, Prepare the nations for war against her, the king of the Medes, with their governors and deputies and every land under their dominion. Uh, So so God is is, uh, prophesying here, putting forward uh, how uh, Babylon will come to an end. Okay. All that to say before we go on. Uh, This is worthy of of your time to think about what are the things that I'm trusting in more than I should? Uh, where, where have I replaced God and, and put my faith in something else? Uh, a bank account, uh, a family, a church, local church, um, uh, an education? Uh, I, I, I don't know. You know, uh, my friends... Uh, you, you will know that. I hope you will know that. I hope you will search that out in your heart uh, to determine, uh, am I trusting in something? Have I, have I put something else in the place or am I switching off day to day on what I'm really trusting in and, and where my hope is? And then you'll ask the Lord uh, to take that away uh, and, and that you will receive whatever discipline pressing into your life that the Lord has for you. He doesn't do these things capriciously. He doesn't do these things uh, because it gives him some pleasure. Uh, but, but his correction is grace to us. And so be aware. Uh, yeah, and, and have, your, have your radar up for those things and, and, and ask the Lord to show you uh, where, where you have uh, created your own false God, of whatever it might be. Okay. Chapter 52, uh, we are, we're not going to spend a ton of time here. This is, uh, this is almost identical to the account uh, that you'll see in 2 Kings 24 and 25. Uh, it's, it also, uh, we had an account in Jeremiah 39. Um, the long and short of this is, is uh, Zedekiah uh, was the last in a long line of wicked kings. Uh, he rebelled against Babylon and uh, Babylon came, 
besieged the city, verses 4 to 7. Um, the city wall was breached. Those who sought to run away to sneak out under cover of darkness were captured. Many were killed. Zedekiah himself was captured, was brought to Nebuchadnezzar, where um, his sons were killed before him. And then his eyes were put out. The last thing he saw. Yeah. Um, verses 13 and, and following, the, the temple was ransacked and burned. The palace was burned. Great houses were burned. Um, uh, the, the, uh, in total, you'll see in verses 28 to 30, uh, a list or a, a manifest, a packing list, whatever, of, of the, uh, the number of exiles who were taken away in the three waves of exile. But note the, the word of hope at the end uh, in verses 31 uh, to 34. In the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 25th day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, this is the son of Nebuchadnezzar, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiachin, king of Judah, brought him out of prison spoke kindly to him, gave him a seat above the seat, seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon, so that Jehoiachin put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily needs until the day of his death as long as he lived. Some of this language will remind us uh, even of Mephibosheth who came and was granted a seat at the king's table as long as he wanted it. So even in the midst of this great loss and this exile, there's this sliver of hope that this exiled king was allowed to at least be at the table of the, the Babylonian king until the 70 years was complete. Okay, now we got to where we want to we finish here. Um, when you think of Jeremiah... Um, we're going to do some touch and goes here. So we're going to go back to, to Jeremiah 1. Uh, and these are some things that you'll, we have seen. I want you to think about them in your own lives as well. That God knows and keeps his own. Uh, Jeremiah 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Uh, Jeremiah 1, verse 19. They, that is, the people who hate what you're saying, Jeremiah, they will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So no matter where Jeremiah went, as he was faithful, the Lord was with him, the Lord was delivering him, and the Lord had known him from before he was him. Right? Uh, before, before he was a he, uh, before he was anything, uh, he, the Lord knew him and had consecrated, had set him apart. Um, and this is the way the Lord works he, with, in the lives of his people. He, he has a plan for each and every one of us, and he has promised to never leave nor forsake. Okay, chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 12 and 13, God disciplined his people uh, for... Uh, doing what was horrific. In fact, it was appalling in, in the sight of heavens. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, uh, that cannot hold water, that hold no water. They had, they had done the same thing that I was warning all of us of before. They had turned their back on the Lord, and they had put in place other gods. They had put their trust in other places. And the Lord is bringing this punishment to cleanse the land, to cleanse uh, his people. Uh, and, uh, yeah, this is the same Lord that rules all of the earth today. Um, the Lord's plans will not be broken. Uh, jump forward with me to uh, Jeremiah 18. Verses 7 to 11. This is in the picture of the potter's house where Jeremiah shows up 
and he sees somebody working pottery at a wheel. And, and uh, something went wrong. The, the, the pot fell apart. It fell in. Something, something went badly. And the potter just turned it, shaped it into something else. And the lesson then uh, was actually in, in verse 6. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? Says the Lord, behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I intended to do it. Now therefore say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. So the takeaway here in this point is that the Lord is the potter. We are, we are not. We are the clay, and his plans will not be thwarted uh, in, in any way. Um, I should get to this page of notes. That will help me. Okay. Um, fourth point. Uh, the Lord's servants will encounter trouble. Jesus promised this, but Jeremiah lived that promise <laughs> centuries before it as well. Um, we won't look at, at these, but, but these are threats. From his hometown friends, uh, these are uh, curses called out upon him that he should die, that he should have a death sentence for what he was um, proclaiming in the temple. Uh, he was imprisoned. He was put in a dungeon, uh, probably a cistern of a house that had been turned into a prison. He was hauled out of that and put in a different prison. Then he was thrown in another cistern, thankfully a broken cistern that was holding no water, ironically. Uh, so he did not drown. Um, and, and he was refused and refuted and rejected over and over and over again um, wherever he went. Um, the, the way last week's lesson ended in, in uh, Jeremiah 44 and 45 could not be uh, more sadly comical. That Jeremiah spends all of chapter 44 saying, don't go to Egypt. Don't go to Egypt. Egypt is death for you. And chapter 45 starts with Johanan saying, let's go to Egypt, right? Uh, so so the, the, the Lord's servants uh, will, will encounter trouble. Don't, don't be surprised uh, when life is hard. Don't be surprised when uh, a lot of people don't love you for what you're saying and the way you're living. Don't, don't, don't be taken aback by that. It's, it's promised to us, but it is worth it. Because we serve the living God. We serve one and only the, the Lord of all creation. Okay. Um, the middle of Jeremiah, the middle of the middle, uh, Jeremiah 31, the, the new covenant is glorious. Right? If you're, if you're going to remember and think about Jeremiah, I want you to think about Jeremiah 31. Right there, structurally in the middle, everything about Jeremiah is pointing us, shoving us towards that point uh, where God says, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel and those days... After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, I will remember their sin no more. You take a passage like this, and you take a passage like Isaiah 53, and you take Ephesians 2, which then folds us Gentiles into the new covenant, the commonwealth of Israel in this sense. Um, these are glorious passages 
to remember and to praise the Lord. Um, and if that is not a truth in your life, uh, come and find me and let's talk. Yeah, because the Lord, uh, there's only one way uh, to be in heaven. There is, there is only one way to receive forgiveness of sins, and it's through the finished work of Jesus Christ and this new covenant, and it's glorious. It really is. Okay, let's chase out the rest of these points. Um, uh, Jeremiah, oh, right after that, right? Um, right after it, God tells us how trustworthy this promise is, and we had this from Jason when he preached uh, last time uh, from, from Genesis. We'll just continue, chapter 31, verse 35. Thus says the Lord who gives sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel. For all that they have done, declares the Lord. And so the Lord brings literally day and night, seasons, uh, heavens and earth to witness as, as, a, as a seal, as a promise of his faithfulness to his covenant forever, to his people. Um, so when you see the sunrise, it's great to say, thank you, Lord, for a beautiful sunrise. It's even better to be reminded that the Lord is still faithful to his word. When you see the sunrise, you see the sunset. Yeah. When you look up into the sky and you realize there's no way I can measure that, uh, that's a reminder that the Lord is, is still keeping his promises. Okay. Uh, on to, to chapter 51 and a reminder that God is sovereign over all peoples, not only those who love him. Um, this is kind of where we started with the question, isn't it? Why, why are these chapters about other nations? This is in the middle of <clears throat> what we just read from um, to Babylon. But listen and listen along in these verses. Go ahead, if you're a Bible marker, just put a rectangle right around these verses, 15 to 19 of chapter 51. It is he, that is the Lord, who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols. For his images are false, and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob. For he is the one who formed all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Yeah. That almost became the title up there in the top of the page. The Lord of hosts is his name. Because that is a great, great capstone to that section of scripture. And, and the contrast between the Lord of hosts and this thing some goldsmith made or some woodworker made couldn't be more uh, sharp and severe. And you know what? <clears throat> I mentioned this uh, earlier with the, with the other elders. Turn over to Daniel uh, chapter 4. Other than Jeremiah, you know, the main character of, uh, of the book of Jeremiah really is Nebuchadnezzar. And he got this. He got this at the end of Daniel 4. Um, read along uh, verse 34 and 35. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven 
and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Yeah. Jeremiah uh, writes about Nebuchadnezzar as being God's servant, and that came true. After Nebuchadnezzar and his armies decimated Judah and Jerusalem and all these surrounding nations, in the midst of this, uh, the Lord is saving Nebuchadnezzar. That's his glorious truth. And uh, yeah, God is sovereign over all peoples, not, not only those who love him. Okay, and a final word from, from chapter 52, verses 1 to 3, that God is just and he will, he will not be mocked. Uh, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. He reigned 11 years. There's his mother's name. Verse 2, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he cast them out from his presence. So the Lord... Uh, while he is merciful, the Lord is also just. He will, he will not be mocked. Um, all things that are not right are made right uh, in his way and his perfect timing. This has been a joy to, to go through Jeremiah. We could do this for 166 more weeks, but uh, we, we have other things that we want to study as well. And uh, I hope that this has been helpful for you and, and that, you will, that it will inspire you to continue uh, to dig uh, in this book. We've, we've just scratched the surface here in these weeks. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for um, Jeremiah. Thank you for sending this man uh, to faithfully and persistently prophesy and speak your words to your people and to, to nations all, all around that region for so long. Uh, thank you, God, for what we see and learn about you that there is no God besides you, uh, that, that you are sovereign over the affairs and the lives of men and women and boys and girls, and that you will not bring your people to an entire end, um, but you will always save those who put their trust in you. And I pray, Father, that if there are some here or those listening who are not trusting in Christ God, that you would um, save that you would be merciful, that you would make new. We lift all these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.